Not too long ago, they discovered there was water on Mars, or a chance of it at least, and everybody was excited because with water, there's a possibility there could have been life. Life as we know it cannot exist without water. Spiritually, we cannot exist without Jesus Christ. He is our water. He is what gives us our spiritual life. As we continue to celebrate his birth, let us always remember that he's the reason we are here. Before I go into the gospel reading, I want to give a little disclaimer. I told Scott I was going to do this. Um, first off, you'll notice that this is not Dale Peterson. Uh, this is Scott Tracy. Um, this morning started off a little rough for both of us. Um, it started off rough for me when I showed up what I thought was plenty early and grabbed the bulletin and noticed that it had a 915 service on it. Well, I was told we were only going to have an 11, so I went into an immediate panic and only to determine, thankfully, that there was no 915 service. So that, that I got by that. Also, somebody might have told me this, but as my wife will attest, I sometimes forget things that are told to me. We didn't know we were going to have a real pastor up here today. Uh, weren't going to have a real pastor, I should say. We, we didn't know that we had to do this whole service. We thought somebody else was going to do a couple of these prayers. So if some of the prayers are a touch shaky, um, that, that's, that's the reason. Let us pray. Dear Lord, please open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to your word. Let the words that I speak here today be pleasing to your ear and let the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Today's sermon, I was going to preach go from the uh, Hebrews scripture, uh, which is, again, it's 2, 10 through 18. Now, another little problem I had, I was working with a different translation, so bear with me a little bit other than this. What I want to do is go through this and try and understand what this writer is trying to say to us. And I think it, it's, it's applicable that this is the scripture that follows Christmas. So starting with verse 10. It is fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Let's start with that verse. Right. The writer is telling us that everything is created through God and for God. These verses are meant to deal with God's relationship with us, us as his children. Now, if everything was created for God, it means that we were created for God. Why did God create us? For what purpose? Firstly, God created us to love us. That is the reason he created us. John tells us God is love. God created us to love us. And, in turn, he created us because he wants us to love him back. This is where this whole idea of free will comes in. I mean, I, I can talk about, I love my job. I love my old Mustang. I love football. But those aren't the kind of love that God's talking about. When I say, I love my wife or I love my children, what I'm talking about is the kind of love that God's talking about here. And 
if you love somebody, the first thing you want, the thing you want more than anything else, is you want them to love you back. And you can only love back if you have free will. God didn't create us to be robots. He needed to give us free will so that he could love us back. Now, I, talk, I was in a discussion with this one time with a fellow who said, wait a minute now, are you telling me that God needs my love? Well, that's not really the kind of God that I really want. I don't want some needy God that needs my love. And the response to that is, there's a person who's never been in love themselves. Anybody that's been in love knows the longing and the yearning in your heart to have that person that you love, love you back. And that's the way God is with us. God needs our love. And he created us for that very purpose so that he could love us. And the only way he can truly love us is by seeking to have us love him back. That's the way love is. Love seeks to be loved back. Love seeks to have that person with whom you are in love have that loving relationship with you. And God, who created us, is now at work for us. And what's he at work? In bringing, what's his work? In bringing many people to glory. God's goal for us is to bring us into glory. Now, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be brought into glory? Well, I think glory means heaven. God wants, us to, bring, wants to bring us into heaven with him. And what is heaven? Is heaven streets of gold and pearly gates? Well, those are the analogies that are used in the Bible sometime a river with a tree of life that bears fruit 12 times a year? Is that what heaven is? Well, that's a way of explaining it, possibly. But to me, I think what heaven is, is heaven is when we have that perfect relationship with God for which he created us. Heaven is when we are in love with God as much as he is in love with us. That is what heaven is. And on the other side, what's hell? Hell is when we don't have a relationship with God. When there is no relationship with God, you're in hell. And that's why, in part, you know, we can experience a little bit of heaven and a little bit of hell here on earth. When we're in that relationship with God, and we can't do it all the time, unfortunately, it comes and it goes, depending on the spirit and our spirit, when we're in that relationship, we can feel it. We can taste heaven. And in like fashion, we can taste hell here on earth too. And there are people that choose no relationship with God. And they taste a little bit of what hell might be. Now, God's here, so you can't completely divorce yourself from God on this earth. Because he is here. He's in everything here. He created it all. And so there's a part of him here but we can experience part of it. But God's plan is to bring us into glory with him, to complete that relationship. Now, how is he going to do it? 
He's going to do it through Jesus Christ. And in talking about Jesus Christ, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus Christ is the pioneer of our salvation. Now, the translation I was using used the word leader. And I like this pioneer better. I think pioneer is a better descriptive term for what it is that Jesus is doing. Now, I'm showing my age here a little bit. I loved pioneers when I was a kid. My favorite pioneer was Daniel Boone. Now, y'all remember Fess Parker and the coonskin cap? I had a coonskin cap when I was a kid. He was a hero. He was a pioneer. He was a man who fought through difficulties, crossed the Appalachian Mountains, and opened the western lands for, for the other folks. Brought them into a place where life would be better for them at a risk of his own life. That's Jesus Christ. Not, don't, that's, that's too strong. But Daniel Boone's not Jesus Christ. But that's what Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ is the pioneer. He is the one that opens up heaven for us. He is the one that risked his life. In fact, gives his life going over those mountains and opening up that new land. That is what Jesus does. And this is the part that when I got to it, it caused me a little bit of problem and took a lot of praying and thinking, and I'm not 100% sure I got it right. The pioneer of their salvation made perfect through sufferings. Now, the reason I have a little bit of a problem with this is it made perfect through sufferings. It implies that prior thereto, he wasn't perfect. And I can't think of God as not perfect. God is perfect. But Jesus Christ was made perfect through sufferings. And we'll see, I think if we read on, we'll kind of get a better explanation for this. All right. Going to verse 11. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have the same father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. We're getting here, what God is saying here is, Jesus Christ is God's son. We know that. We are Jesus' brothers and sisters. We are also children of God. And to verse 14, since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things. Jesus Christ, gave up his deity, his godness, to become flesh and blood. He set aside his divinity to become one of us. So that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. You see, as a god, Jesus Christ is immortal. He cannot die. As a man of flesh and blood, he can die. And the only way that he could defeat death and the power of the devil, which is death, is by dying. He had to become a man. He had to become flesh and blood in order to defeat Satan, whose power is death. 
Where does the power of death come from? What is it that gives Satan the power of death? What is it that leads to death? It is sin. The consequence of sin is suffering and death. That is the power that Satan holds over us, and that is the power that Jesus comes to break. And by his death and the fact that he himself did not sin, if he had sinned, his death would have not made a difference. We can all be as good as we possibly can, but we cannot be sinless. Only Jesus Christ, as a person of flesh and blood, is the only person of flesh and blood that ever lived on the face of this earth who lived without sin. And by dying, when sinless, he defeats Satan, whose power is sin. So, when I think about this, I sometimes just get blown away by the fact that Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, came to this earth knowing full well he was going to suffer and die. Sometimes people think, well, you know, Jesus, he was a good teacher and he was a martyr. No. He was a good teacher. He, he wasn't a martyr. He knew this was the plan. It was from the beginning. He knew it from the beginning of time, what he was going to do. Now, when he was born flesh and blood, I don't believe that little baby in the cradle knew it. But I think once he was baptized by John and went to the wilderness for his 40 days, from that point forward, he knew exactly what his deal was. He knew exactly what he was going to do. This is an amazing love. And he comes to set us free of that sin. And therefore, going down to 17 there, therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what they suffered. He is able to help us who are also being tested. Not only did Jesus Christ die on the cross, and, and Paul makes it clear, and that any preaching should be centered upon Jesus Christ and his, and his crucifixion and his resurrection. That's the whole deal right there. But there's other little parts too. Jesus, while on this earth, though sinless, he suffered just like we do. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus cried when his friend Lazarus died. His family thought he was crazy. The Pharisees persecuted him. All of the problems we have to deal with, Jesus dealt with those too. That's another reason he became flesh and blood. As God, he couldn't feel those things. But as a human being, he could. And even though he was sinless, he suffered these things because of our sins. Back in the Middle Ages, I read this somewhere, I'm not sure when it happened, but there was a belief in Europe that the oceans were so vast 
so big, you could dump as much refuge, as much waste, as much garbage in them as you wanted, and they would never, you know, they were so big, it's no problem. Don't worry about it. Well, we're smarter than that now. We know better. We've seen the consequences. And we talk about our carbon footprint. We all want to minimize our carbon footprint so that this world's not polluted. Well, sin has a carbon footprint. When I sin, it affects not only me, it affects every one of you. And not only you, it affects everyone in the world. Sin is garbage. And when we put it out there, it affects everyone. We wonder why. Why do good people suffer? You know, the ancients kind of said, you know, when the tower fell on those folks and, everybody, and, and Jesus talks about it, and the tower fell on the folks and killed them, and, he, and they said, well, they must have been bad folks that that tower fell on them. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way it works. But you see, the sin that we commit affects us all. Why do bad... I come home from a party sober and another person comes home from a party drunk and they kill me, their sin killed me. But it's not just that direct. When I sin here today, it affects the folks in China, it affects everyone. And I'll tell you, the person it affects most is God. Our sin affects God. If you love somebody, when you see them going down the wrong path, it hurts you. When one of my children do something, it hurts me. Now, when they were little and they did something wrong, I could give them a spanking. Now, they're 22 and 26 now and I can't. But I'll tell you, when they do something wrong to this day, it hurts me. It hurts me. It makes me sad. I think one of the demarcations of when we move from young Christian to mature Christian is when we realize we don't sin, we don't avoid sin to avoid punishment, which God will punish us for our sins. It's just part of the deal. He'll forgive us, but you still have the consequences. When we stop sinning because we don't want to hurt God, not because we're afraid of what's going to happen to us, but because we don't want to hurt him, that's when we take our next step as becoming mature Christians. But God understands because Jesus was here. He dealt with those things. He understands and he'll intercede on our behalf for God, for our salvation. You, everybody in here is saved. Jesus didn't come to save just the good people. Jesus came to save everyone. Everybody is saved. We just need to accept it. Now, there's another reason I believe Jesus came to earth, and it has to do, it's one of my favorite Christmas stories, and anybody that's been in my Sunday school class has heard this story, but for some reason, I didn't get to tell it in Sunday school this year. The timing just didn't work out right, so I'm going to tell it now. There was a gentleman farmer on the eastern shore. Um, he was a very good man. He's a research scientist by trade, but he also had himself a little farm that he liked to keep. And as I said, he was a good man, moral, treated everybody just right, but he wasn't a Christian. Now, he was married to a woman that was a Christian, and she tried to get him to go to church, but he chose not to. He said, I, I just don't believe, I don't believe that a God became flesh and blood. 
That makes no sense to me. I don't accept it. I'll try to live right, but I am not going to church. So one Christmas Eve, she leaves for church. She asks him to come, and he says, no, you go ahead. I'll be here when you get back. And not soon after she leaves, this huge nor'easter comes in on a cold, cold winter night. And it's blowing, and it's howling, and it's freezing rain. And he starts to worry a little bit about his wife getting home. So he looks out the window, and he notices out there in one of his fields is a flock of geese. And he says, these geese are not going to survive the night in this storm. This freezing rain's got them so they can't fly. They're going to freeze to death. i got to do something. So he goes out, and he opens up his barn doors, and he starts trying to herd these geese into his barn because he figures if he gets them in the barn, they'll live the night. No matter how hard he tries, these geese are not going anywhere for him. Every time he gets near them, they scatter, they recongregate somewhere, and he's getting soaked to the bone. He's cold, and he's starting to get angry and frustrated. And he starts yelling at these geese, you stupid birds, don't you understand? I'm trying to save you. You stay out here, you're going to die. And he keeps going, and he's getting more and more frustrated, and finally he yells out, oh, if I was only a goose, I couldn't make them understand. And then the bells of the church ring Christmas Day. And he understands why God had to become a man. Let us pray. Dear God, help us to understand just a little bit the great love you have for us. Help us to understand the great sacrifice that your son Jesus Christ made for us. And help us to accept the salvation that he offers. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.